At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Happy New Year, Nathan. Happy 2023. You know, it feels like 2022. It kind of smells like 2022. And that could be because we're recording this before <laughs> the new year. Yeah, this is still 2022 in the office. So, so uh, this podcast, we're going to be talking about the uh, top 10 automotive head scratchers. Things that we are kind of confused about because they seem like things the company should be doing and they're not. Yes, flying cars have not happened yet. What the hell? But before we do that, since it's still 2022, um, even though you're watching this in 2023, let's make some predictions. Oh, okay. I've got a couple I was thinking about uh, that, that'll happen over the New Year's, or it would have happened now. Sorry. Like, like, let's pretend like they have already happened. Okay. okay. Hey, Nathan, can you believe that by accident, Elon Musk stepped down from Tesla instead of Twitter? <laughs> that was quite uh, the surprising news so over the weekend, wasn't it? Mail. Yeah. <laughs> And then he went and apologized on Twitter, but the, the deed was done. He, he quit Tesla instead of Twitter. And people applauded. People oh, were happy boy, about it. Isn't that go. crazy? Yeah, yeah. Here, here's your head scratcher. <laughs> Mary Barra what did from she General do? Motors, what did she, do this weekend? she took over Tesla after uh, Elon Musk stepped down, and then he in turn took over General Motors. There you go. Now you have balance and symmetry. <laughs> I like mine better, Nathan. Yeah, yours is better. <laughs> All right. Well, if that comes true, then uh, you owe me lunch. <laughs> if that comes true, we're never going to see a Tesla a Cybertruck. All right. Well, let's talk about our main topic, uh, which is <laughs> I'm not sure we're going to see a Cybertruck, even if it doesn't come true. So, no. <laughs> anyway, we got enough hate uh, from all the Tesla fanboys without stirring the pot anymore. Wait, you're the one who stirred it, dude. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the uh, top 10 automotive head scratchers. And you guys will understand what I'm talking about the second that I do the first one. And we're going to do this in typical TFL top 10 order, which means we stop at number 10 and then go down to number one, okay? Sounds good to me. All right, so here's number 10. Uh, why is Honda slash BMW not building an off-roader? Why is Honda slash BMW, why don't they have off-roaders? They're two off-roaders, uh, let me set that up. Off-roaders are, are right now the hottest thing in the automotive world, right? Like the one behind us. The yeah, Bronco. be they cars, be they trucks, right? Mm. Be they cladded up SUVs, crossovers, right? Off-road is where it's at right now, whether people go off-road or not. Uh, and Honda especially is a head-scratcher because, of course, Honda has an entire motorsport division mm -hmm. where they build pretty phenomenal motorcycles slash dirt bikes, Slash side by sides, yeah, sure. Slash ATVs, and yet the closest they get to it is the recently announced Pilot, which is okay, right? They they kind of gave it off road tires, they gave it a recovery point, but they don't have a dedicated off roader. I would think that there should be like a Honda, whatever that is, you know, a hardcore off roader, and same for BMW. Okay, well, first of all. Uh, Honda is simply responding to what the market actually uses as opposed to what you want. So, yeah, they're going to build vehicles that can kind of sort of go off-road, which are much better than they used to be, and still be reliable in everyday drive vehicles that look off-roady. That's Honda's thing. BMW, well, they've actually been building some of the most successful off-road racers in the world, Roman. Think about it. The car... Mini and BMW you, have teamed up and have absolutely dominated actually, that race. You actually went to number nine early, but I'll, we'll get to that in a second. You, Who cares? Okay, so please, before, before we get to that. BMW. Right, before we get to that. No, no, that's number nine. Why, number nine is actually, why is Mini into car when they don't have an off-roader in their fleet? Wow, right? I'm clairvoyant. We did not go over this list no, before we, we started didn't. this. I, I wanted to surprise Nathan with it. But the, 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 the fact that is head-scratching is that these two brands – whether they build, you know, racing off-roaders or not, don't sell them to the public because they're certainly not making money by winning off-road races, right? Mm. BMW does not fund their company by, you know, building exceptional off-roaders 
and then winning a race with them, right? These are lost leaders that are done so that they can sell more cars. Yes. And that's why number nine is so confounding. Why is Mini even into car when they don't sell an off-roader? I, 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 I'm, I'm completely baffled by that, right? You would think that the reason that Mini would be entering and winning to car is so that, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, but the closest thing you get to an off-roader with the Mini brand, and I love the brand, is the Countryman. And, you know, with like 7.2 inches of ground clearance, whatever that thing has, it, it's it's by no stretch of the imagination off-road worthy. Oh, Roman, you are so wrong. My <laughs> my, my my countryman has less than 7.2 inches of ground clearance. <laughs> okay, um, I'll give you that. One. Yeah, it's it's not even close. <laughs> I won't even go over my cell phone. Um, so you, it's you, a very simple. I'll Google it. I want to see how much it has. You you keep talking. Yeah. Okay, very simple point to make in terms of BMW and. Mini working together because they do work together. They're, it's the same company, essentially, just in different places. But, yeah, the b- bottom line here is that BMW decided rather than having their X3 race, they would use the underpinnings for their X3 racer and put it underneath a Mini, which has much more of a racing name. Now, think about it. Mini has actually gone way back in time to rally stages that were in the early days, pre-WRC, and has won several of them. Oh, 6.5 inches. I told you. <laughs> so, he, once again, Nathan, I can't believe you're defending it. Now you're talking about mini winning races. Who gives a rat's ass when they don't sell an off-roader? Why are you into car mini? Why are you spending, at this point, probably not tens of millions, but hundreds of millions of mm-hmm. dollars racing a race and then not getting any benefit out of it? In the, It's a complete head-scratch. You're like... Same, they did the same thing. Uh, they, they invited us to uh, the 24 Hours of Nürburgring, right? And they had a, they had a race car there. Uh, and once again, they don't build. Well, they do, actually. That's not true. They build a GP. So maybe mm-hmm. that at least has a, a connection to something that they're actually selling. But the off-road part, I don't understand. Because I would be the first one in line to buy, like, the Dakar version of a Countryman if they were actually to build it. And, Nathan, it wouldn't be that hard, right? Oh, <laughs> yes, it would. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> oh, come on. How hard could it be? Oh, there you go. You lift a Countryman. You throw on some cladding. You throw on some, I mean, I mean some skid plates. Here's, here's a realization I had, okay? Mm-hmm. So we just bought this Ranger. Yep. Right, we bought this Ranger, uh, and we bought uh, a Ranger that was three years old with four thousand miles. But it was the SXT package, which was the blacked out package, but it had the FX4 package. Mm-hmm. Now, guess how much? Because I went and built it because I wanted to see like how much it would cost if we wanted to buy it now. Which you could build, but the thing about the Ranger is because they're building Broncos, you can't actually buy Rangers, right? No, and they're about to completely update the Ranger, too. Yes, they're built on the same chassis. Mm-hmm. So uh, we bought ours for about 33500 It was four years old. And when I went and built it, the exact spec of ours would have been 38000 So mm-hmm. basically, we got a $4,000 discount on a three-year-old truck with 4,000 miles on it. Yeah, yeah. But building it was really eye-opening. Guess how much it costs to stick a rear locker on that truck? Guess how much additional money? Twelve hundred. Four hundred and ten. Well, that's all. Yeah. Ah. Four hundred and ten. Okay. So I'm just saying it's not that. I mean, these things are not expensive, right? You're equating tomatoes to apples. Okay. How so? Explain that. Because front-wheel drive bias vehicle that is built on a very small platform can't have a rear locker from a Ford shoved underneath it. It just doesn't work that no, way. I'm, no, of course. I'm not saying you can that... put $400 the, locker in the back with a straight axle. That's going to work. Yeah. I'm not saying that Ford puts their locker from the Ranger on the Mini. I'm just saying if Ford can sell a locker for $410, BMW can sell a locker for $410. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You said a German selling something cheap. Oh, that doesn't exist. You and I both know that German companies, all German companies, nickel and dime customers, for every component on there, I'm surprised that they don't actually charge for the air on the tires, and I think they might. <laughs> all right. All right, so, that's, all right, so, so, so let, let's go with your supposition. Yes. That, that, that they, you know, let, let's, let's take the Porsche approach where you pay $2,000 for a little tiny clock that sits on the dashboard, the chrono package, right, which is what those are, 2500 I was going to say more than that, yeah, Yeah, which is what a chrono package costs. So, so why wouldn't... The people at Mini take that same approach, build an off-roader, charge the wazoo out of it, and then you know use the Dakar race car as a selling halo car to then give people the opportunity to hey, you can see the commercial now, you know 
over the last five years, Mini has won 14 out of the 15 classes of Dakar, whatever the hell it is, right? Mm -hmm. You too can own the new Mini Dakar. Just go to your dealership and get your ones now. Limited edition. We're only going to build 50,000 of them. Whatever it is, right? People would buy it, and the people would pay a lot for it, and it wouldn't be hard to do. I'm sorry. It wouldn't be that. You can, yes, you, you, you can lift the Mini now. No. You can go and buy a lift kit for a Mini. People do it. Okay. So you, you're so wrong. You, you really need to learn to drink coffee. <laughs> Um, Mini, have some tea. in order for Mini to lift a car, crash tests. In order for Mini to put tires on it, crash tests. Re-engineering the, everything from the subframe of the vehicle, if they had to do would, that. It would cost a thousand times less than racing to car. End of story. But racing to car, they <laughs> have would. teams. But they, it's not Mini just paying for the team. The team itself and Red oh. Bull and all these other people sponsored to put oh. money into it. No, no, no. No, Mini's paying for that. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, yeah. it's not out yeah. of their pocket. Yes, it's, they are. It, it, some of it is. Look, look, I agree. I, I agree. There's a lot of people, like, if you want to go race to car, there's a lot. But the works teams, that is coming out of BMW's budget, no doubt, Nathan. And, yes, there, there's probably a small portion that comes. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, and I don't know this is a fact, but I'm guessing. So, you know, I'm being a little presumptuous here. A little. But... You know, Red Bull has become basically a marketing company, right? Yes. Uh, and Red Bull does not pay BMW. I think it's the other way around. They I think BMW pays Red Bull. The team itself is its own separate entity, Roman. Well, I get that, the, yeah. And so the money that comes in comes in from different sources. It also comes in from tire sponsors. All right, all right, all right so let's, let's, let's look at this. So you've got a budget, whatever their budget is, Mini's mm -hmm. budget. Let's say it's... 50 million, which it could be, mm -hmm. which it easily could be. I'm saying that 45 of that million comes from Mini. No, 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 I completely disagree. And you guys, let us know below if you actually know what the sponsorship numbers let's, are. Okay, let's say it's, it's going to be hard to find, actually. Let's say it's 5 million. Why is, it still doesn't answer the question why is Mini racing Dakar and not building a, you know, a, a, a version of it that the public can buy? What's the point of it? Okay. Not that I don't want one, by the way. Yeah. But there's a very simple point. The ego of the why, CEO? No, why, why do automakers build vehicles that compete in Le Mans? How many of those Race small cars? on Sunday, sell on Monday. That's the biggest. Really? Yes. Because I, last time I checked, yes. the winners at Le Mans, including companies like Bentley and Mercedes-Benz and all yes. that, do not yes, have they do. those Le Mans cars racing or uh, driving Bentley around. Bentley GT Speed. Of course they do. It does not Of course sell. they do. Porsche GT3, Porsche GT3 RS. These cars are directly derived from their racing programs. And the biggest one of that is, of course, Ferrari. Ferrari has raced Formula One forever because basically all that Formula One technology, Nathan, goes into their street cars, or so they would tell you. You're, you're arguing up a, a very steep hill, I think. No, here. I think I'm actually right about something. You won't let me finish. Okay, I'll, I'll shut up. I, I do monopolize. Okay, so here it is. What poster on the wall did you have when you were growing up as a kid? Uh, I had Paulina. Okay. You remember Paulina? She Periscopa? Was like, yeah, she was Czech. Yeah, I'm seriously, sure there's that, yeah. No, she was hot. Yeah, um, she was. I had that poster. Do you didn't have a car poster on your wall? I did. Okay, what'd you have? I had, um, actually I didn't, I had a tank poster. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right, Eastern European. I'm sorry, I totally forgot. <laughs> sorry, that makes sense. I did have okay, a tank well, poster. Was it a Russian tank or? Yeah, no, no, it was a Tiger too. Oh, well, whoa. <laughs> I know, it was a, a badass tank, dude. Yeah, it was, I, okay. I mean, uh, what would you rather have, a Sherman or a Tiger? Uh, Sherman. <laughs> on your wall because the, the ghost of my father would come and like stab me if I had I'm, a tiger I'm not, tank look, I'm not trying to be like you know pro you know <laughs> no no the tiger tank was an amazing tank was, okay yeah. we're going on a totally as, a, as an 8 year old there, it was cool right, there's a point that I'm getting to <laughs> yes. and that is that there's marketing marketing is very very important okay. for all car companies marketing means that if you produce a vehicle that's going to be going racing just like you said you are able to get that out there in the public conscious right all right now, granted, they don't have a racer version of that vehicle, but there are so many prototype vehicles out there that exist that are racing in Dakar and whatnot that don't exist anyway. So they're getting a piece of that pie, and on top of that, they're getting all the coverage worldwide from Dakar, which is, outside of the United States, really, really popular. Mm -hmm. They're also getting posters. They're also getting video games. They're also getting all this stuff, and that return on investment is people have a consciousness of, ah, many races, which they do, and mm, I think a Mini is a fun vehicle, and maybe there's even some off-road cred, which there really isn't. So maybe I'll go get a Countryman or something like that. You have to understand that they're working surreptitiously to get to the back of the mind of the people out there through marketing, and this is a marketing tool. So I would say um, 
that is a very good argument, but it completely falls apart with many because we've done many takes of states a bunch of times. Yeah. And I've never met a group of more wonderful, more fun, more interesting people that have never heard of Dakar in their lives. I wouldn't disagree with you, although, fortunately, once again... This right, is, it's like the, the wrong a, demographic. No, but it's a microcosm in the United States because most people in the United States don't know much about Dakar. Outside of the United States? Come on. You covered the uh, what's, the people who do the right, biking. Right, I can't speak... What, what's the biking over the Paris thingy? And they, they, Tour they, de France. The, yeah, the steroids and all that. Okay, so Tour de France. Right. right. In America? Yeah, a couple of people might know about it. In Europe? Oh, it's huge! It's exactly the same thing with Descartes. And, you know, rightfully so, because there are a lot of people here who are, frankly, ignorant of the best racing in the world. That's because I love Descartes. Yeah, I don't know what the demographic is for, you're right, for mini buyers in the UK mm-hmm. versus Germany versus, but I do know that, like I say, here in America, most of those people who own and buy minis probably would never have heard of Dakar. You know, and you're maybe right. Most people in America, you know, maybe it's not the buyer. Maybe it's just America. I don't know. I think it is. And uh, one final thing. My son has a video game where the mini racer is in there. Yep. You know, and he plays it. And he doesn't even fully understand the fact that it's like, oh, that. And, I, of course, I, I, look, I point at it and I tell him the same thing. Oh, well, that's actually based on the BMW X3 platform, and there was a diesel. And I start talking, and then I just can see that my words are floating through his head. He can absolutely care less. But because it's out there in the video games, it's sort of in the subconscious of a lot of people that Mini is sporty, fast, and racy. So I think that those things are enough cachet for Mini 2 and BMW to say, "Mm, okay, it's worth the investment. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next one, number yes. seven, um, going down the list. And this is a dual one, once again. Uh-huh. Um, why has no traditional legacy, whatever you want to call them, manufacturer built out their own charging network or and or hydrogen network? I think, like I said, there Well, other than Tesla. Other than Tesla, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and follow, like, like Tesla has set a bunch of examples that co- car companies have copied. Some are trivial and some are important. So trivial ones are like, you know... Door handles that that that, that, that disappear into yeah. the door, right? Right. But more that. important ones that, that now are getting copied are over-the-air updates. Yes, which is really good. And I think the one that they really pioneered, which you know is giving them a huge advantage, is their own charging network. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, Electrify America is still struggling to it's Electrify take, America. Yeah, it's going to take them a few years. But Electrify America, I think, was in cahoots with uh, Volkswagen. Well, they were formed because of Volkswagen. Yeah, that's right. right. And then from there, other... Can I give you you an example of how they're struggling? Yeah, sure. So the way EA was formed was it was part of that Dieselgate settlement, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so they spun off this network. They took some of the employees that were working for Volkswagen, and I think they spent $2 billion starting up. Now they spent a lot more, but initially it was $2 billion to build out these charging stations across America. Right. and the way the charging works on the Tesla network, of course, is you buy a Tesla, you set up your app. We've owned three Teslas, so we're very familiar with this. You put your credit card in your app if you don't have free supercharging. You pull up to a charger, you plug it in. It's called uh, it's called plug and charge, right? Uh, and it just charges automatically. Yeah, yeah. It's it goes. Just, it goes. It's to, almost seamless. Yeah, it goes to your app. It shows you how much money you're spending. It even tells you, you know, how many of the chargers are occupied. How much power is going into your car? Everything you want to know. Yeah, you can you can plot an entire trip across the country just using that Tesla system. So, so here's something mind blowing. Did you know that Volkswagen with the new ID4 doesn't have plug and charge? Which drives me crazy. But th- this is the this is the network that Volkswagen built does and not have, have plug and charge yeah. for their own cars. Yeah, I know. It's I, it's, it's it's like that's a I'm head not going to defend that one. I can't because it is a head scratcher, and you're absolutely right. But there are. There are signs of improvement. I, and certain uh, members of the journalistic community have gone out there, and especially during the super cold snap we just had, were really, really bashing EA for having a lot of charges that were down. And a lot of people who are anti-EV uh, were like, oh, see, there you go, proof positive. These things suck in the winter, which uh, I actually kind of disagree with because we have a video coming out soon, which is going to uh, disprove some of that. But there's a point, all right? Or it already came up. Depending on when, yeah, depending on when you saw this. I'm sorry. <laughs> when we're recording, we're watching. Yes, yeah, this is pre-recorded. Uh, the point is, is that uh, every month of every year, EA has improved, and now they're finally starting to swap out some of their crappier chargers for the newer ones. They're actually going to more robust systems. The grid is improving. These things are happening, but they're just not happening fast enough for certain people who are as 
and impatient as Roman. Um, no, no, I'm not. I'm not impatient. That, that wasn't my argument. My argument was, it, it, so, so were, okay. You said journalists. I'm going to say YouTubers. A bunch of YouTubers went out, uh, you know, and did videos showing that even the news, some of the news stations, um, you know, they used they used a company called ABT and they used a company called uh, God. What's the other one? And they swapped out to, I, I've completely blanked out on the names of the charging companies, right? Mm. Except for ABT. Um, um, Signet. So they had ABT and Signet chargers, mm -hmm. and they replaced them with B. This Vietnamese company that actually I ran into one of the technicians when I was charging the Hummer coming back from Moab a month ago, uh, and those were the chargers that weren't working during the cold snap. And here's what happened. And this is you guys gotta take everything with a grain of salt. Now let's say you're a YouTuber and you go out and show that these new chargers aren't working right. Mm. Uh, that's a you know that's that's an important thing you're showing because you could make an argument that that is life or death. Yes, uh, but you know. You could also make the argument that then that gets picked up by all the conservative media, which hate electric cars, and it gets blown way out of proportion, just like our video did with the Hummer charging, right? Right. Because that's the way the media works nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about actually getting to the truth of the matter. It's not about, it's not about showing you know both sides of the equation. It's not about being fair. It's all about sticking it to the other team yeah. or getting clicks on your website. So whenever I see videos, you know that that that, that say the Earth is falling, right? Uh, the sky is falling, then I take them with a huge grain of salt because it's always, you know, the mighty dollar that's driving that or a political agenda that's driving it, which also leads to the mighty dollar. So, and that goes on both sides. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm not trying to like, uh, both sides do the exact same thing. Uh, and so, yes, some of the chargers during the cold snap weren't working. And some were, I actually used one. And, yeah, and some were. Um, and yes, Electrify America needs to figure it out. And yes, they probably should have been tested. But, you know, it's not the end of the world. When electric cars came out, which was, what, 10 years ago, there were no chargers. Just like when internal combustion engines came out, there were no gas stations. And I'm sure the first gas stations had issues as well, right? Well, you can tell me about that. <laughs> I can't tell you about it, but, <laughs> but you're funny, Nathan. <laughs> that was pretty good. That I was think. a good one. Yeah, that good. Uh, uh, you know, and then, then so so take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I, I agree with Roman on that. And, and there's there's another note here, which is, I mean, we did drive across the entire country. And for the most part, we had a relatively positive experience. There were issues coming back, and we did have some. In the interim, there are going to be other networks that will be growing, and they're going to be learning from their lessons, and these things are going rapidly. They're growing and growing and growing in three years, the problems we're having today will be completely gone. There'll be a whole new set of problems, but I, <laughs> there will be. I mean, that's how but it works. Let's get back to the, the, the main topic. Yeah, which is the... the uh, my, yeah, why, why has no other manufacturer built out their own charging network? So Ford has these angels that go around and they you know, make sure that Electrify America stations are working. And if they're not working, then they'll take them you know, off of their software, embedded software, mm -hmm. as a place where you can go and charge. And I'm like, I'm sure Electrify America is like, oh my God, don't do that. Don't take, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, why would they care, right? Uh, and I, I would put it to you, um, Jim Morrison, if you're listening, you know, hey, Jim. the president, uh, I think his title is president. I don't know. He's head, head honcho at Jeep, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, convince your boss at Stellantis um, that, you know, if you build out an entire network, and I know it's going to cost billions, if not tens of billions, right? That will guarantee that uh, you will be the market leader for the next 50 years. It will. It really will. I, I really believe that. I think if, if you can be the manufacturer that builds out their own network, like Tesla did, you will have such a huge uh, advantage in the next five to 50 years that, that everybody else is going to be playing catch-up. Okay. So... General Motors right now is working on tech to build these uh, hydrogen-based charging units mobile. that are somewhat mobile. Yeah. And I think that that is actually a very smart thing to do. Hydrogen has been one of those things, that's a call word that a lot of people are like throwing out there, but it's still a very difficult thing to mass produce for cars. But having a hydrogen-powered station that you can put just about anywhere to back up some of these EA and other charging networks that are growing, I think would be a great thing. And General not, Motors has a piece of this. But why not like, build out a traditional? So the way that the GM station works is they have a semi that's full of hydrogen, and then they have a fuel cell, right, where they you know convert the hydrogen to electricity, and then right. you can plug a car into it. And well, get a drink of water. 
<laughs> get a drink of distilled water, yes. Uh, why not? But why not just actually build out your own hydrogen network where, you know, now you've got especially the Asian companies selling hydrogen cars, and there's a total of like 50 hydrogen networks, hydrogen stations in California. That's it. We yeah. have zero. We have zero. Well, we kind of have one, but we're not allowed to use, use it. it because it's part of the National Center for it. Which sucks. No, NREL. It's National Renewable Energy Lab. They, yeah. have, they have a hydrogen station that they won't let us use. We keep coming back we're to that because I talked to the PR guy. I'm like, hey, we got a hydrogen car. Can we fill it up? Isn't this what you're supposed to be doing? And he's like, oh, no, you guys can't use it. So I'm still a little salty about that. I'm a, I'm, I am too. I'm right there with you because you know, we're our, below them. No, no. It's our tax dollars that are funding NREL. Yeah, I know, but it's still we're, 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 we're going to pay for the hydrogen. Yeah, we, we're and, only going to ask for it for free. And, and, and I assume that they're part, you know, part of their. It's probably some insurance thing we don't know about. But it, anyway, regardless. No, I, I was going to say a part of their mission statement is to promote renewable energy, national renewable energy lab. Yeah, and, and then we've got this giant audience. And, oh no, we can't have a hydrogen. Anyway, that's another story. But you see what I'm saying? I think yeah. if they would either build out a hydrogen network. Or and, and yes, I know Rivian is building out an adventure network, and I know Jeep is doing the same thing. But that's a whole different thing, you know, putting level two stations at trailheads versus actually having an entire four thousand strong charging network across America. And we need fast chargers. You know, people just don't have the patience to sit for six hours and wait for their car to top off. And I know there's a lot of people screaming at the at your. YouTube or at your podcast, whatever you're listening to, saying, well, we have that with gas, right? But once again, you know, we just got another email, basically somebody chiding us about the fact that we're spending way too, time, way too much time on electric cars, mm. that somehow we're driving the agenda, that we're the ones who are, like, promoting electrification. Was that Andre who said that to you? No, that was the email who, okay. who said that. We're just reporting the news, guys. Yeah, whether we like it or not, electric vehicles are coming, and a lot of them are coming. So we're reporting on this based on the fact that they're here. And they're going to hit the market hard. So, so I mean, why I mean, not report look, on them? Look at it from our, our point of view, right? We we cover the news, views, and reviews, right? Right. And over the last year, many of the new car unveils and launches have been electric. Mm-hmm. So or electrified. Or electrified. So mm-hmm. you guys want us to like keep talking about a five-year-old Equinox? Is that you know, how much? How, how long will we stay in business? Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be promoting look, an agenda? We love point? the nine eleven. We do, and I'd love to talk about it all the time. But how many of you guys would tune in if we did that twenty four hours a day? Unless you know, Spike's seven car days radio. Week. They, they seem huh? to, unless you're Spike's car radio. Yeah, <laughs> they seem to be all <laughs> but all, all four okay, shows. Okay, time. that's fair enough. But but we're not. So <laughs> we're not all four anyway. So time. yeah, that, that's that's it's a really good point, Roman. Why don't we move on to the next one? All right, next one, number six, I believe, Nathan. Let's mm. go to number six on the list is. Um, it's still electrified. We'll keep going with electrified. Yeah, sure. Okay? Um, and this is actually a good one. So do you remember SEMA uh, a few years ago uh, when Bosto came up with this really cool electric Mustang? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one with the manual transmission. Yeah. Why hasn't Ford built that? I know. Wouldn't that be badass? Uh, there was a rumor that the Mustang that is now coming out, that's about to come out, was either going to be a hybrid or they were going to have an electric version of it. There was a huge rumor. Do you remember that? Yeah. And that didn't happen. And... It's a really good question. I think that the answer has to do with the Mach-E. I mm. think that the marketing and everything else with the Mach-E right now, they're really starting to push that car. It's doing really, really well. And Ford is all about numbers, right? That's why they have things positioned in certain ways, like their F-Series trucks, best-selling trucks, because all F-Series, right, combined. I think with the Mach-E, what they're doing is they're trying to kind of create this market where the Mustang, as you mentioned once before, by the way, there'll be different Mustangs out there. There'll be the Mustang Mach-E, there'll be the Mustang Mach-C. Who knows what they're going to call the next one? So I think what they're doing is they're saying, okay, internal combustion for now for the last version of this Mustang, and then we're going to have other Mach-E or other electrified Mustang versions out there. I don't think that they're going to take this dedicated internal combustion platform and convert it. I don't think that's going to be a logical thing for them to do. I think they're going to just stick, because the Mach-E, as much as I hate to say it, it's faster than a GT, dude. I mean, In a straight and, line, and, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quick. And I think that they're, we're going to see more performance-oriented versions of that in the very near future. All right, shall we keep going? Again? Yeah. I'm, I'm getting tired of electrification, so let's switch <laughs> so to, so some of let's switch to some, emails. something that we're uh, near and dear to our heart, uh, and that is infotainment, Nathan. Oh, crap. Okay, how did Volkswagen get the infotainment so wrong? In their defense, before we go into this argument, they have acknowledged their mistake and they're fixing their mistake. They, they, the boss said, we screwed up. We need to fix this. He said that. 
uh, not winter yes, quarter I, either. I, I get that, but <laughs> but it, you know it's been pretty obvious over the last ten years that you know the iPhone has completely consumed people's attention spans, has consumed. I know you, you keep know, going on it when we're talking. Because <laughs> I got my list on of it. Of course you do. <laughs> but uh, but has you know taken over our life, and and that you know can be directly translated to the infotainment in a vehicle, right? Right. So, so most people now, of course, you know can't live without uh, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto or some version of it. And so I think it's been obvious that the infotainment in a car has become as important, and I would dare say maybe more important than even the powertrain in some some people's minds. And yet Volkswagen, you know, uh, re-engineered uh, basically the infotainment and completely like got it wrong. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you, and there's other ones who have as well. And it, it got it wrong in a bunch of relatively straightforward ways that they shouldn't have gotten it wrong, right? <clears throat> so there are ways you can get it wrong where like it's 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 the way the interface works, or if we're using haptic, right? That that is all new, right? Mm, yeah. And that is something that 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 they're in fresh fields, and I understand, right? Do we want haptic controls? I, I know Tesla went to the screen and put everything in the screen, and they kind of pioneered it, but it's still new in the automotive world. <coughs> For the majority of car buyers, right? Right. But the stuff that they shouldn't have gotten wrong is like response time, right? Where it's slow and it's, it's, it's. Or it's, it doesn't read your your input like, or, or it's or, or ergonomically it's it's mm. badly designed. This is stuff that has been around for decades now, right? And and people have figured out, and the software world understands. And yet Volkswagen didn't even get that part of it right. It's funny you mention this. A quick funny story. This morning I accidentally grabbed my wife's shampoo in the in the shower which has like tea tree oil in it or something like that which stings every component of your human body so my left eye is all burnt from it i get into my car and my eye is like winched closed okay. and watering and it still hurts um and i go to use my controls on my hyundai now the hyundai infotainment system especially on the one You're i have about your santa cruz right my santa cruz i have the base model one yep. which means that i actually have buttons and dials and knobs and rotating things that i can actually feel so i'm like feeling around so i can hit all the right things and i was just thinking to myself as i was getting in there i am so glad that i don't have to try to find these little tiny fake buttons that may or may not even respond some do have haptic response some don't and hit these things blindly almost literally, and trying to make things happen. Because if I don't have screaming loud music or news as I drive, then I can't drive. So this was like one of those things. I was thinking about that. Like some of the controls in some of these cars suck because I would actually have to try to wipe my eye, look really closely, find the thing that I have to hit, hit that button, and maybe or maybe not it will work. Dare I ask, why are you even driving? <laughs> I, I, I figured I'd be okay once I got rolling. <laughs> I, I can, as, as many of us figure. I can drive with one eye. Plenty of people do. Come on. Yeah, who, who needs depth perception? It's overrated. It's, uh, come on. People have eye patches. One, eye. one of my cousins does, and he drives just fine. So it's cool. I, I, I think you can't drive with one eye. Yes, you can. I don't think you can. Yes, you can. No, I mean, I, you really can. I don't Go ahead, look can, it up. Dude. While he's looking it up, right, there I'll are a variety on. of different reasons why automakers have actually gone to doing these systems, and one of which is actually money. Okay. Um, because it is a lot cheaper for them to have an entire unit that has all those buttons, all of those switches, all of that control mixed in with the screen versus having those people who, or having that, those systems that don't have it. So, for instance, having individual rocker switches and individual buttons and individual knobs nowadays is I a was, lot more expensive. I was wrong. It says people with mono. Monocular, monocular, monocular I vision. Told you, my cousin has can legally one. drive in all fifty states and in the District of Columbia. Yeah, and he's actually a decent driver too. He's a oh. Former race car driver. Wow. Long story. Wow. Okay, that's pretty impressive. That with no depth perception, you can you're it's, out there. It's it's not no depth. But that's that's another complete thing. It's you don't completely lose depth perception. It's just hampered. Okay. Anyway, furthermore, those systems when you put them in place on steering wheels, on screens, and all that. Those little pads are a lot less expensive to build and install than having individual buttons and, you know what I mean, separate controls. And that's one of the reasons these automakers have been doing this. Okay. okay. Sh shall we move on? Yes, please. All right. Um, behind us, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see a Bronco. Yeah, it's the Everglades, one of my favorite versions of it. Right. And this, has, this one actually has nothing to do with the Bronco, but everything to do with the Wrangler. Uh, and my question is, as a head-scratcher, why has Jeep not... Um, addressed the Bronco and updated the JL Wrangler? I think they're in the process of doing that, but there's a problem. What Simple. is it? Money? Electrification. Going back to that whole mm. thing of electrification, um, they have spent billions of dollars going to the 4 by 8 platforms that they're using soon to be across the entire line, right? 
I don't think that that's left them much in the kitty for them to completely rebuild a Wrangler and compete directly with the Bronco. But that's the one side. The other side is they don't have to compete with the maybe Bronco. They're selling, maybe they're selling enough Wranglers. That they're, they're selling plenty of Wranglers. Yeah. And the Wrangler is still, in my mind, supreme when it comes to full-blown off-road capability. Not on-road. The, the Bronco is way better on-road, and it's... A, a better all-around player, I think. But the Jeep is supreme off-road. I, I will take that to the grave. So, so here's the head-scratcher part of it, okay? Yes, okay. I love Jeep, and I agree. I think off-road, they're incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are definitely very off-road aimed, right? So mm-hmm. if let's see, if one, on the uh, on the left side you're at one, on the right side you're at ten, and one is off-road and ten is highway, right? The Jeep excels at one or two and does really poorly at, Nine or ten. Yeah, right? by comparison. Very sure. poorly. I mean, you've got a brick into the wind. Mm-hmm. You've got a really miserable kind of straight-up seating position with a straight-up windshield. It's just not great. I, it's, it's, it would probably be the last car I would take on a road trip. And we drove it around America for 36,000 miles, so I'm very familiar with it. Uh, yeah, me too. You too, uh, yeah. yeah. But it's it's not grand. No. Uh, but the Bronco, I, the Bronco does... Is way better for a road is, trip car, that's for yeah, damn sure. Yeah, and... So I always keep asking, you know, how does Jeep sell so many Wranglers when it's such a unpractical car for on-road? And when you keep asking that question long enough, the, the answer may be that they won't because people will at some point gravitate toward the vehicle mm. that has that off-road cred but is much better in the environment that they use it in like 99% of the time. So that's why I asked this question, why has Jeep not addressed the Bronco? Because off-road, it keeps up all day long, if not, you know, does better. Mm. But on-road, where most people live and drive, is where it struggles. And at some point, that's going to come and bite them. And if I were, if I were Jim... I'd be, and he's probably already doing this. I'd be, you know, pushing double time or triple time to get a new Wrangler out there to address the Bronco. Because when, mm. when you know, when the market, if and when it returns to normal and prices kind of stabilize and you know dealers aren't playing shenanigans, then all of a sudden you're going to start to see, um, you know, Other than, an erosion of, of Wrangler sales. I fear. Mm, I can. Completely disagree with you and okay. Tommy on this. Fair enough. Um, I think that their other G products are in trouble. Right. Uh, I really do. But with the Wrangler, like what products? Huh? What? Which ones are in trouble? Uh, the Cherokee. Well, they stopped. Ran. <laughs> they stopped. They shut down the factory and yes. Belvedere. Yeah. Well, the, uh, yeah. There's something wrong. <laughs> so and, and so, then so, so and then little, the, the, the Renegade and the crossovers in trouble. Yeah. Oh, their their crossovers right, are. Right, so yeah. why is the Cherokee in trouble? Let's talk about that. Okay. So you so you don't want me to answer your? No. no we'll, uh, okay. we'll come back. To that. Okay. No, that's yeah. cool. Um, so the Cherokee. Uh, sales are part of the problem. It, it's kind of dropped off, which is a real shame. The Cherokee was one of the most capable crossovers that you could take off-road. But why, why did sales drop off? I've well, been scratching my head about that. Too. I think there's a couple simple reasons. One is that quality still is a bit of an issue. Okay. And two, it's not a cheap vehicle. It, if, you get the, if you get the proper one, the, the Trailhawk, um, it is extremely expensive. And Ford came in with the Bronco Sport, which is Phenomenal off-road for a little crossover. It is less expensive. It is smaller, though. And it is a far more accessible vehicle. So, so let's talk about the segment that the Cherokee lives in, right? Mm-hmm. And the Bronco Sport isn't in that segment. So it, it's in a, Yeah, it would technically be against the compass. So, yeah, so the, the, the segment that it lives in is dominated by two vehicles. And the one is now the best-selling vehicle in America, which is the RAV4. And the other one is the second best-selling vehicle, which is the Honda CRV. Yep. So it's living in that segment where you've got Toyota and Honda competing head-to-head. And, and you look at the you look at the Rav Four, and that has an adventure component to it, but it's not exactly you know. I mean, oh, we've tested cr- it off. Yeah, it's by, by comparison, comparison it's, it's, it's not, not it's not, not off-road worthy. Yeah. Uh, and I would say we just did. Tommy just put the uh, CRV on the slip test and it didn't just, didn't it was do miserable. Well. And yet yeah. those two are the are, are the market leaders in that segment. So mm-hmm. maybe what what, what buyers are telling the manufacturers is in that segment specifically, we care more about on-road than we care about off-road. Possibly. Um, also, I mean... Because the Cherokee's better than both of those by a long shot off-road. Not only that, but I think the Cherokee is actually a very comfortable, well, fairly well put together vehicle, at least in the regular drive. But it's just not there in terms of the overall sales numbers. That and there are some plant issues and why, that's and why they closed it down. And then, of course, also Cherokee has not kept up with the latest tech because no. um, RAV4 has not only a hybrid but also a plug-in hybrid with the mm. Prime. Yep. The Cherokee is just the Cherokee. There's, yeah, I think there's I th- two powertrains, right? There's a Pentastyre. 
I don't even know if they offer the Pentastar anymore. They have the Turbo Four. I know about yeah, that. Yeah. So maybe they're also like like they're not like updating. So that needs a four by e treatment. Or fuel, or maybe the fuel economy might, numbers that, might be that could be it as well. So, um, and it's this is a whole Stellantis thing, and they've never, I mean, they've never really put a you know a pin in it and said we're going to come back to this and tell you guys exactly why we closed this plant down. But I think it does have some stuff they, to do they, with. They said it. temporarily. It may have something to do with the fact that they might be updating the vehicle, which it desperately needs. And you're right about powertrains. In fact, if you look at the the field out there, Jeep could be leading with their plug-in hybrid system because overseas they actually have plug-in hybrids that are front-wheel drive bias and they seem to be pretty good so I, I they're not put, here i don't want to put like i mean they're not retooling for a new cherokee we don't know we they haven't said exactly what they're well, doing we would know if there was a new cherokee coming we, we would have seen prototypes we would have seen we know how that cadence works Nathan. we do but we i wouldn't straight out say we, we there's not one coming i'm that not would, saying there's not one coming but the, the plant did not shut down for retooling that is that is obvious they would be they would be the first ones to announce that because that would make it a positive thing right versus you know, a full-on negative they had to lay off people right, and all exactly. that yeah. all, right, all right let's keep going oh no before we keep going i didn't want to uh, you were going to say why you think that uh, jeep has not updated the wrangler you, okay. you had a you had a theory okay. on that powertrain okay as i mentioned before yeah uh, it, are there any Broncos that are faster than Jeeps, uh, Wranglers? No. 390, the, the beefy, beefy Jeep would kill anything that Ford, we already put I was that. trying to figure out if the Bronco Raptor is quicker nope, than No, it's the, not. We already figured that out. Yeah, it probably isn't. It's not. Not yeah. even close. Yeah. Yeah, and we did it at high elevation. Yeah. Okay, second. Are there any Broncos that get better mileage than a Wrangler? Uh, not with not the 4 by e. e, right? Or the diesel, I think, as a matter of fact. And but, the diesel but, is still being made. But the rumor is that the Ford's working on all electric. I know, I know. But and so is here. Jeep. So yeah, exactly. It's not here. Yeah. Right now, Jeep has the most combinations possible when it comes to powertrain and overall, you know, cab design. Right? You can also get a pickup truck version of a Wrangler, essentially. Right? While they still have that. Ford cannot directly compete. As such, Jeep does not need to completely bend and change their entire outlook, at least for the next couple of years. I think they've still got a good couple of years before they really have to reinvent the Wrangler. And hopefully when they do, they don't succumb to the temptation of making it independent suspension because I think that would be a terrible idea. But anyway, that's where I am with it. So I am defending Jeep. As much as I love the Bronco, I'm defending Jeep and saying that Jeep is still superior and does not need to change the Wrangler right now. All right, so you just predicted the next one in that statement. Uh, why no Dodge Dakota? And you said that Jeep mm. has a midsize, the Gladiator, yeah, but, but why no Dodge Dakota? That Okay, that's a really good question, and that is a head-scratcher. We know for a fact and that— And we usually they, don't do trucks, but we're kind of going into that. Yeah, role. well, this is a Sorry, midsize Andre. truck. Yeah, Andre will forgive us, uh, even though you're, you're saying that angry email. Um, <laughs> the thing that you have to remember about the Dakota is that it was initially a huge sales success, and then it died a horrible death because it wasn't successful at the very end. You can debate me all you want. Look at the numbers. But here's the important part. Right now, midsize trucks are back. And in a big way, not only are midsize trucks back, but small trucks That's are back. That's how we bought the Ranger. Because, yes. Because we want to ride that wave of popularity. Exactly. And use that as, as a, uh, you know, a, was the, the, the marker, a um, level. Anyway, to judge the vehicles. Thank you. Um, okay. So I think that what happened was initially they were going to bring back something like the Dakota. And they had to make a decision. Do we go against the mid-sized trucks with what we currently have, which they did have uh, some prototypes working, by the way. We know for a fact that, that Stellantis and FCA before then were talking about development and even announced the development of mid-sized trucks. But then the Ford Maverick happened and, to a lesser extent, the Hyundai Santa Cruz. Now, they have in their fleet... If you look at Fiat, even Peugeot, plenty of powertrains and platforms that can compete directly with the Maverick. I think that they may be having a rethink and they're trying to decide if they should go that route and go directly against the Maverick, which I think would be a brilliant idea because for right now, electrification, they're already looking at a full-size truck. Why not do something similar with a small truck and compete against those? So that's where I think they are, but that's not an excuse. They should have had something in the market 
a couple years ago. You know, there's a rumor that Toyota's building a mini pickup truck. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors about that, that Uh, they might bring in the uh, Stout Stout name or even the Hilux to the U.S. or so. Who knows? I I would love it if they did it. Nissan, they've been showing some images of their, uh, I think they call it the Surf, which is their little electric pickup truck concept. It looks freaking awesome. And they have the tech, but they're not going to build it. So I've got three in this truck category. So these are kind of subcategories. Okay, Okay, go for it. So while we're talking about So sorry, Android, we kind of stole three of them. Just three. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, Why has GM not built a Raptor competitor? Yeah, there's a lot of people who are upset about that. I know know the people or GM maybe think that the Hummer EV is a Raptor, but it's not. No. It's not. The... Okay. It doesn't in, the, in in people's in buyers' minds. I don't think the Hummer EV is in the same bucket as the Raptor. It's not. It's, it's in not. it's in a crap it's bucket. A, it's in its, its own. It's bucket. a junk drawer of your cabinet <laughs> for uselessness. It's a paperweight. It's useless. Um, but they. Do. I disagree. But that's a whole different conversation. Okay. Um, for, real quick. Yeah. The Silverado ZR2 is an extraordinary off-road it's, vehicle. There was just a story, I think, on Autoblog or Jalopnik. Maybe it was Jalopnik talking about what a great off-roader it is. It is. It's fantastic. And we had one. We owned it. And I agree with everything they said. But it, it, it's like, oh, gosh. It's like, you know, you, you go to a restaurant, and, and the restaurant is known for doing incredible tiramisu. Let's say it's Italian, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and you show up and they don't have it, but they have, I don't know, what's, what's a competitor? Ita- Italian ice cream, cannolis. Yeah, and you're like, you have a cannoli, and you're like, yeah, it's not tiramisu. <laughs> it's not but, what I wanted. It's not what I aspired to. It's not what makes me excited. I have a theory about this, and GM has never confirmed this, nor has anybody else, but I have a theory. First of all, I think when they built this truck, they were like, our consumers want something that can compete off-road, but not necessarily be a fire-breathing maniac, and something that might be a little bit more affordable. That's where their and mentality what's, what's was. And what's really confounding is they have the engine. I know they do. They have that, that, that one that's inside the Escalade. Or the Corvette. Yeah. You pick one. Yeah. Either no. or. Throw them in there. But Either one would do. I just think that they don't see a return on their investment. Also, I think that they're worried that they might suffer from not having a truck that is quite as capable or as fast, perhaps, as, as the Ford or the Ram. Can you imagine that, going through all the billions of dollars to build this thing, putting it out there and realizing that on paper it's not as good? That could be an issue, which, by the way, GM has gone through before with other trucks, and we will discuss that on the truck channel at another time. Uh, but the bottom line, I think, is that they just simply did not want to compete in that ether. They decided that they would just keep it safe and stick with what they know, which is locking front and rear diffs on a truck that can seriously go off-road. The only thing that I know that is better that it doesn't go up to the high-level super truck stuff is a heavy-duty truck like the Ram Power Wagon. I, I just feel like the ZR2 isn't even in people's uh, conversation when it comes to the Raptor or the TRX, right? You've got now two of your major competitors. It's not, it's not part of the pissing contest, right? It's like you're not even you're not, you know you're not you're, you're not the title fight. You're you're the you know the the first one on the, yeah, on the bill, but although, not the big one. Honestly, yeah. If somebody told me you know out of the, all the trucks they bought that they bought the ZR2, I'd probably think that they might be a little bit more intelligent, more serious about off-roading. Yeah, I agree. I'm not saying I think it's it's yeah. a better towing truck. It, it is more. way better towing. And it's, it's a better truck truck. Yeah, it's, but a, it's a useful truck, and you can actually go down a trail with it without having to worry about rubbing two sides of a freaking canyon wall. Yeah, but with the TRX and the Raptor, they're too big. You, you got, too you, but I'm saying you got to have GM's got to be in that. You can't you can't give that territory that real estate up to your competitors. No, you they already can't. have. Uh, I mean, they have, and they're not going to. I guarantee you, they're not going to build anything more powerful uh, because they're moving all electric. Right. Uh, Once again, not us doing it. GM's doing it. Yeah, we're exactly. not the ones. From I'm not. I, look, I'm not saying they shouldn't. <laughs> it would be awesome if they did, but they're not going to. And personally speaking, I still think if I had to choose the three of them with my own money, yeah, I, I'd choose the Chevy all day long. I would. All right. All right. Uh, here's another truck one. That's the last one of the three in the truck category. Okay. All right, and I was talking to Volkswagen, and I don't mean to pick on Volkswagen, just this podcast, we happen to have Volkswagen a lot. Uh, uh, and I said to him, if you were to bring in the Amarok, that would be your number one selling vehicle overnight. And they looked at me like I'm, I'm, I, I came from Mars, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it, I think it would. I think Andre would agree with me. I think you would agree with yeah, me. Yeah, I've driven the Amarok before. But if the Amarok came in, and they, the, the first thing they'll say is chicken tax. Yep. But, you know... You can get around that. There are ways to get around yeah, it. Yeah, build it here. Yeah, build it here. Uh, it would become the number one selling Volkswagen like that overnight. They would sell, you know, tens of thousands of units as opposed to kind of selling cars that seem like they were designed for Europe but then are sold here. Yeah, we, we, we get sloppy seconds all the time in the United States from Volkswagen. We're used to it, It's it, but it's true. Had they put the amount of money, time, and 
sweat equity into taking an Amarok and making it, Americanizing it, but also keeping it in the same league as something like the Honda Ridgeline, right? They would have had a sales leader on their hands because there's a lot of people out there who don't need the full-on beefy off-road capable pickup truck. They want something that can just get them from point A to point B reliably and carry stuff and maybe look good doing it. Volkswagen could have had that market. They could have cornered it. And right now, if you look at the Honda Ridgeline sales numbers, granted, they're not through the roof. They're definitely not competitive with Toyota, but they have done very well with keeping this thing very relevant. Sales numbers have been positive from the day the newest generation came out. And Volkswagen could have had a huge piece of that pie. And for them, that would have been the best-selling vehicle in the United States. I agree with Roman on that. And here's the last one. I think this is the most, the number number one, of course, is always the biggest one. And this is, I think, the one that's going to resonate with the most people, Nathan. And we can have a long discussion about this because there's a simple answer, but the simple answer, I don't think, suffices. And that is, there's two parts to this question. Why have the traditional manufacturers allowed their dealership to basically rake their customers over the coals uh. with, with market adjustments? And why are they still sticking to the dealership model when their dealers are doing what I would say uh, is serious damage to the brands at this point. And I know the easy answer is franchise laws and that the dealers have, you know, lobbied legislatures and have, you know, have, have put in these laws that feel to me like they're anti-competitive in nature. But, but at the end of the day, the, the, the power still is in the manufacturer's hands because if you can't manufacture a Bronco, then you've got nothing to sell, right? Well, you actually, you, you, t- you just, just touched on that. Ford has already put the threat out there and with their electric vehicles at least they're going to cut out the dealer service it's going to be straight to you know online ordering essentially well, so it's the dealerships, more complicated than that. yeah the dealerships will have the vehicles there you can test drive them but in essence the ones that you're buying will be bought online so four dealers have to commit to you know building there's like two levels of electric uh, sales that they have to commit to they have to put money in and then you have to be able to uh, order them from the Ford web. Anyway, I, it's another whole conversation. So Ford has taken a big step in that direction. Yes. But I think the question still remains, you know, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm all about, look, if you, I, I have nothing against dealerships. I do. I, I, I think, you know, it's, it, I believe in competition and I believe that competition makes things better in the world and I believe in choice. Uh, and, you know, nobody has to go and pay a market adjustment, right? You don't have to buy that car if the dealer is asking for. Yeah, nobody's holding a gun uh, to your head to for make five you buy. to ten, and that's what I think a dealer but, would say. I mean, nobody has, no one's holding a gun to your head. But at the same time, from a manufacturer point of view, just by doing that, right? Just by doing that, you're hurting the brand. Yes, I would agree. I, I always look at it as when I go to the store and I buy a thing of toothpaste, I don't have somebody else going. Well, you know what? That toothpaste is going to cost you another thirty cents. Market adjustment, pay up, or else it go to another if, store if, and buy it somewhere It feels else. like Guido, right? It doesn't feel like you're buying. It feels like you're being forced to. Yeah. And, uh, and there's no gun here, but that's what it feels like. Well, let me put it to you this way. And I know a lot of you guys, over during the pandemic, a lot of you were like, well, you just should hold on to that Honda for another three years or whatever you're telling people to do. Right. You know, people get in car accidents all the time. Millions of them happen. And the reality is people need to replace cars, and more often than not, they'd rather you do it with a new car. Fleets have to expand new cars. In my case, I needed a new car. I have to drive back and forth 40 miles each way. Got to get a new car. So these things are needed. And having that, you have a need in the United States, and then you have these dealers going, well, you have a need. I guess you're willing to pay a little bit more to have that you know, a little itch on your back scratched. But what well, if it's more than an itch? What if you need to go to work and that's your livelihood? That's exactly my point. So that's one of the many reasons why I find a lot of unscrupulous dealerships, just, I hope they die a horrible death. But the good news is, is that there's a lot of great dealerships out there that have been playing by the rules that will stick with MSRP. I mean, there was a time where you could buy a car under MSRP. And I hear rumors that every once in a while you can still do that. But the reality is, is that... I wish that automakers did have more control of their dealers. And basically saying this, if we find out that you're doing these huge markups, we're going to slow the supply of vehicles to your dealership, and we're going to expand them to the ones that are actually playing by the rules. I mean, look, if the dealerships can play with the taps, so can the automakers, sort of. So so here's here's something that I'm sensing out there. Uh, Maybe the 
markups, the dealer you know, markups may be a thing of 2022. And the reason for that is I've been talking to both salespeople who work at dealerships and, you know, owners and sales managers. Mm -hmm. And the one like huge thing that's coming back is that customers hate those markups. There's yes. just so, so much hate, right? Yes. And I think that the message is coming through to the dealerships that, Some. that when they do this, they may profit, but the amount of like negative energy and hate they're generating. And think about what that does to your sales staff. Think about what that does to the morale of the dealership. To the return buyers. Right, right. When you've got all like this hate coming your way because you're trying to make $5,000 more, mm -hmm. right? And, and your salespeople feel like, you know, like they're the recipients of that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot more to a business than just selling vehicles, right? There's, there's the actual uh, way that you treat your customers, yep. <laughs> which I would argue is more important than the vehicles that you sell, right? And when you start like feeling that much hate coming back from either social media or from walk-in customers or from the manufacturer, it's really hard to keep like just kind of, you know, well, we got a brand new Hummer, let's jack it up by $50,000. Or worse yet, because the Hummer, of course, is in, in a price range where people who are buying it probably can afford it. But let's say it's something like a Honda Civic. Right, something affordable for right. the masses. Where, you, where you're jacking it up by 5K because and it's, it's that's really popular. where you're going to get really screwed because when you're dealing with a popular vehicle that is for your working class and you're screwing people on the prices, your dealership Because that's will how people write, look at it, screwing. Yeah. That's how they and, feel. But that's how, what it is. And those dealerships will be noted. You will suddenly find that the people who are interested in your dealership are going to look at the reviews and they're going to talk to, you know, word of mouth, oh, this is the dealership that three years ago was jacking up those prices. Let's look down the street. There's another dealership that sells Hondas as well. Let's go over there. I think they're fair. That's the reputation. You're screwing your reputation. You created this, and you're the one who's going to have to stew in it. And I've seen it happen to good people, and it's not fair, and it's unconscionable. And yes, you had to keep your dealership going. Well, guess what? There are other ways to do it. People have played fair, and they're still surviving. And so, I, I also well, feel that like the manufacturers didn't quite realize just how much anger and hatred this was generating. Yeah, I right? they lost touch. I think they lost touch, and they felt like, you know, We'll just throw up our hands and we'll use the argument. You know, this is not beyond our. This is out of our control. The dealership. You know what I mean? It's like that. It's like that argument. Most uh, automakers did that. You're right. Yeah. And I'll give Ford credit because Ford tried. And, and GM sent some threatening letters. Yeah, there's a couple. Ooh, we're going to scare you with something. No, but the, but Ford's. If they could take it one step further and essentially say, listen, if you're not playing by the rules, we're just going to sell our cars online. And we're going to follow the model that Tesla established. And or Rivian or Apple. Right. I mean, it's, it's obviously going that way, right? It, it is. It's just a slow trickle because these dealerships are fighting for life. And we know a lot of these dealers. In fact, we know the head of a, a group of dealers, Tim Jackson, right here, Colorado Automotive Dealers Association. And he understands both sides of this. We've actually had good conversations with him about how bad it's gone. And his hope is that these dealers start playing a little bit more by the rules. And by the rules, I mean the rules of society. You know not, what? I don't want to talk for Tim. So if, but, but I'm only referring to right, what I, I discussed right, with right. him. I would say go back to that podcast and listen to it. Yes, if, indeed. Or uh, Tim, you know, uh, if you want to. But the bottom, there's a bottom line here, and that is yeah. that uh, the dealerships have played their game. They really screwed people over during a time when people really needed help. That was during the, the pandemic days, the bad ones. And I think that they're going to reap what they sow. Well, That's and here's the, there's there's another part to this. I think that maybe the dealerships aren't getting because it's a demographic change, right? So mm. I would argue that I would contend that many dealerships are owned by people of our generation or older, Nathan, right? Yep. These, these aren't millennials, right? And my sense is, and this is a whole other conversation you can have about millennials, but millennials really hate conflict, really hate conflict, right? Mm -hmm. That's why the, the Tesla model or the Apple model or the Rivian model, it feels, even though it may be more expensive, it feels so much more comfortable because, first of all, they can go online, mm -hmm. they can price the vehicle that they want in the exact specifications they and want. It's the price Never have to talk to a salesman. Right. Right. Get it delivered to their door or, or you know, get it delivered at the Tesla Delivery Center right. and pay exactly. And I mean exactly what is on that website plus tax, right? Right. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, that's how they prefer to interact. They don't want games. And they, and they, 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 they will, they, they they can they play will Fortnite run, all they want. They will they... run, you know, they will sprint away from anything that feels or smells like stressful conflict. Yeah. Uh, and this is exactly by doing 
these adjusted dealer markups, that's exactly what you're creating, a stressful situation, because then it's got that old model, right? There's that old model, like, where you go to a dealership and you'd be like... <laughs> what can I do to get you into a car today? <laughs> you'd have to, like, walk away three times and play this game. And, and well, Let me go see my manager. Right, right. And that, that whole game, this is the other thing I don't understand. Like, you know, why don't the dealerships give their employees, like, enough confidence and enough autonomy to actually make the decision without having to go to the manager because the second you do that the the, the salesman is irrelevant because you're mm. not talking to anybody who can make a decision so why bother you're mm. just wasting my time at that point you might as well just walk in there and say let me talk to your manager exactly why do i want to talk to a salesman who can't make a decision yeah so so that whole model is is so outdated i i agree and as i said i you uh, you guys can tell i hate dealerships however i will reward the ones that treat people right the one that I went through in order to get my vehicle, and they did not know who I was. Yeah. They didn't know until my wife actually came there to pay for it. And then the, the guy put two and two together with her last name. And once he found out, he freaked out. And it was great because I think he was relieved that we got an MSRP. That, that's all we got. We didn't get any help from Hyundai. Thank you, Hyundai. And the bottom line with that was... Hey, they played by the rules, and I've already on on the website on TFL Truck. I've already you know talked about that sales experience and talked about that dealership because they deserve good mojo. That's 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 all I'm going to say about that. All right. Um, so, um, how was your New Year, Nathan? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> My New Year was really good. Was it? Yeah. Did you, did you? That's another thing I don't understand. That that ball falling in Times Square. Yeah. Can I do a Roman rant? Like, like that is. Well, you're gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah. I watched the ball fall <laughs> at Times Square. Really cool. It, it's the most. I would argue that New Year's is the most anticlimactic holiday of all of them uh, by far. Oh, just, it depends on your age and where you are. Or, yeah, I, I, when I was younger, I did have some rowdy, yeah, filled. But but let's. But even those were anticlimactic because you're like, ooh, it's a new year, and it just feels the same. You can read about that in The Great Gatsby, by the way. Uh, I w actually went to Times Square more than once. Okay, tell me about that, because I don't, I don't get that ball fall. I oh, mean, dude. I mean, give the, me the fireworks or give me something. It, well, there is a lot of that going on. There's, this, like, there's this like like crystal ball that goes, that's it. Yeah, I, I was, know. I, I'm like, I don't get it. Well, you, I get the fireworks on the Fourth of July. I get Santa on on Christmas. I even get Hanukkah. Right there, there's presents and there's family get-togethers and there's, yeah, you there's know, Thanksgiving. There's turkey. Yeah, right. Fourth of July. There are bands and parades. A ball falling, Nathan. A ball falling at midnight with like some like B level celebrities voicing okay. over now, songs that okay. were popular the from celebrities <laughs> that a celebrities thing okay that, that that's a little much sometimes especially if you don't like those celebrities and you're trying to get through it at someone's house it I sucks. think B levels being too like D level it depends on who they are uh, but you I know, will say this and then performers singing songs that were popular like four years ago when the ball drops and if you're in Times Square if you are not attached, you will be attached. If you are attached, you're going to be having a great night. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's, it's, the atmosphere is like a concert, a good concert that you're at. It's very positive, and all that positive mojo in one spot, that makes for a great night. And you can kind of feel a little bit of that. Um, the end of the new year, personally speaking, I look at it this way. Oh, I might get a day off from work. That, that's kind of my biggest thing. But I grew up in California where we had the Rose Parade, have the Rose Parade. And for me, it was miserable because my parents would wake me up at like 6 in the morning. Hey, let's go look at the Rose Parade. Did you have to go out there and actually look at it? Actually I think watching on TV is fun, but I think getting to Pasadena would be... It's, would a, be, it's would a nightmare, be. <laughs> even back in the, in the 70s. We, there's, there's one highway that goes, and it's like one of the oldest highways, yeah, and it's curvy, and it's tight. Yeah, you can, there's a back way in, but it's not a very good one. Um, the, 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 Alhandra? The, it, that, what is it? Well, the, the, the freeway, the, you can you know, you can take the one. To, uh, let's not go into the freeway, so I don't want to help you guys out. <laughs> if you're silly enough to get down I can, there... I, I could see how getting there, and, and plus you've got this all this... Like pop and circumstance around yeah. the parade, where you got to have the you know the people have been doing it all. You, you know, you start out like like putting pebbles on uh, pedals, right? Flower pedals, and you work your way up. So I'm sure those guys have like preferred parking, and you know how California is. It's very status conscious. It is indeed. But if you're nobody, I, I'm not saying you were nobody, but uh, you know, you were part of the the masses. Well, I was I was part of the masses and yeah. everything else. Um, I will say this though, I think that New Year's is actually a, a great time throughout the United States at least because it doesn't really show a denominational 
bent, everybody can have a good time on New Year's without having to worry about people. By, getting by the way, upset. my alarm just went off. We went an hour. Yay. Yay! Isn't that great, guys? One whole hour for your New Year's. <laughs> I hope you guys had French toast and yummies and lots of bacon. And enjoyed Times Square. And, and enjoyed Times and Square and, more importantly, the Rose Parade. And wore, and wore your 2023 glasses. <laughs> yes, and I hope the Rose Bowl is everything you hope it's going to be this year. I think it's going to be boring, hey, but, but that's me. By the way, uh, I can't wait for 2023 because we've got some great stuff coming up. So just quickly, yes. um, I'm going to CES this week, mm-hmm. next week. Uh, and uh, so uh, Volkswagen is unveiling a new car there, so I can't right. wait for that. Uh, and uh, There's a couple unveilings that are yeah, going to happen Yeah, Stellantis is doing Ram's doing a new truck, so yep. all that is coming, uh, and uh, we've got some really fun things planned for the year, including hopefully driving uh, El Camino del Diablo. Yes, 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 the road of the devil. The road of the devil, uh, and maybe even if we can make it happen going back up to Alaska to going to the furthest western point in the U.S., so all that hopefully in 2023, not to mention uh, some uh, new people on staff. So new exciting. people on staff? Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to be hitting the Chicago Auto Show soon. I mean, a lot of these auto shows are going to start regenerating, coming on back. And Moab, Utah, Easter Jeep Safari is coming up, too. So stay tuned for that. And, and 2023 will be the year of the midsize and heavy-duty slash super-duty truck. So it's going to be a hell of a year. So And we've got a book, giant uh, Unimog to tow. <laughs> I can't wait. With the heavy-duty. So I can't uh, wait. Yeah, that thing is awesome. Okay, guys, have a great New Year. Stay safe and stay sane. Happy New Year. See you next time. Ciao. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.